If you will, take your Bibles and turn to uh, um, John chapter 3, as I told you. John chapter 3, and that wonderful verse is where we'll begin today. I'm going to scoot to the piano for a second because I want to teach you something. You, over the years, you've heard many settings of the, of the John 3.16, and you've never heard this one. A friend of mine, David may actually know him, his name is Jeff Scott, in a student camp many years ago. Uh, are the words up there, Brandon? There we go. You recognize those words? It goes something like this, and I want to teach it to you because I find myself humming it around the house. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believeth would not perish but shall have life. Now you got it, sing it with me. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believeth would not perish but shall have life would not perish but shall have life last line would not perish but shall have life i don't think jeff ever did anything with that but it sure means a lot to me just in my daily round before we get to the message we're going to have a time of just a moment of prayer. Uh, Barbara and Don's uh, granddaughter, daughter, granddaughter, Haley, is expecting twins. And they found out this week that she's developed, as you know, she's been having a lot of struggle. And they found out this week that uh, she's uh, developed a liver issue that could affect both her and the babies. So would you bow with me right now? Let's lift up Haley. Heavenly Father, we trust you and we love you. We know that you love us. We pray for Haley and these two precious lives and all the family that surrounds it. We begin by asking for these three lives that are impacted by the health of mom. We know that you hold health in your hands. We don't understand the why that this has come about, but we know that you're in control and that you do know. I pray today that if it's a possibility inside of your perfect will, I pray that you'll affect some healing. I pray that you'll affect some health. I pray that you'll do what only you can do and make the doctors stand in wonder. And, Father, whatever your will is, we know we can trust you. I pray for Barbara and Don and their entire family. I pray that you'll give them a peace that passes all understanding because our human understanding tells us to go to pieces, but in you we know that you're in control. I pray for them that you'll give them peace. I pray you'll give them comfort. I pray you'll give them assurance. But more than anything else, Lord, I pray that you'll give them companionship as they walk through these days. And, Father, I pray that you'll do this in a way that everyone will see your hand working. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
today, for God so loved, for God so loved the world. John three sixteen through 18. Now, this is absolutely the most familiar Bible passage that we know of. Probably the most loved Bible passage. It speaks of God's love. But I want you to think about that love. What a word. Love. That God loved us. But I want to say this to you this morning before we even get to the text. Love is a misused word today. It's misused to the point of compromise. Because our today's culture tells us that love is about two things. It's about empowering and it's affirming. No matter what your loved one wants to do, you are to empower them and affirm them in whatever they do, how they want to do it, and for as long as they want to do it, regardless. That's love, so they tell us. Well, I have, from my study of God's Word, I have a little different picture of love. And this is not a theory of love. This is a practice of love. If I can get through it and convey it to you, I believe it will help us to see God's love in a, in a fresh way today because it's a very personal story to me. Many of you have heard bits and pieces of it, and I'm not going to give the whole thing. Nine and a half years when we became your pastor, our daughter, whom we love dearly, had spent several years in rebellious and riotous living, coupled with a sickness called bipolar that had caused her at the time that we became uh, your pastor and wife, that caused her to be pregnant out of wedlock. Now, I want to tell you that God used that pregnancy along with her training, what we had tried to live in front of her for all those years, that pregnancy was a turning point in Christy's life. But when Christy found herself pregnant because of her unholy and unrighteous and wrong decisions, she knew two things. She knew that her mom and dad had an unending, undying love for her. And we did. But I want to tell you what else she knew. She knew that under no circumstances would we support her continuing to live that lifestyle. She had no doubt about that. I recall when she came home and sat on the couch she cried all the way from Mississippi State where she attended one semester where <clears throat> she became pregnant. She cried all the way home as she drove, and we were concerned about her being so distraught driving home because she knew that we'd love her. But this is what she said to us on the couch. She said, I have got to change my life. I'm headed in the wrong direction. You see, she knew... What many people don't know today, or people may know when they don't want to accept, love never affirms sin. Love never empowers sin. Love is sometimes hard, and sometimes love turns and walks away. Dr. James Dobson calls this tough love. We were not perfect parents, land sakes. If you want to compare our... 
mistakes to yours, ours will outweigh yours in abundance. But we had done our best to live a life that said, Honey, we love you, and we'll see you through anything. But our love for you is not more than our love for our Lord. That's a foreign love today. People don't understand that kind of love today. And yet, here's what I will tell you, as you well know, because you know this wonderful gal. God took her and he changed her, starting right there. He brought the smile back to her face that we so desperately missed. Today, she is a loved teacher. She is a mom. She is a wife. And I have to believe deep in my heart when I remember those days of difficult love, of doing things that I didn't want to do because I wanted desperately the best for my daughter. I remember thinking we'd never get through it, but we did. And love always sees you through. Because when she looks back, when we talk about it now, she knows that we, were, we loved her with an undying love, but we didn't love her with an empowering and affirming love. That's what God does for us. God doesn't leave you like you are. When I think of our relationship with Christy, I think that perfectly describes God's love for us. And we're witnesses of God's love all the way back to the Garden of Eden. <coughs> when they sinned and they disobeyed. Perfect illustration as we work our way through our text today. Even when he threw them out of the garden. He did it because of love. Because he immediately made a way for them to come back. Because God wants to restore us. To reconcile us. And to recover us. So against that backdrop. If you found John chapter 3, let's stand together for the reading of this wonderful part. All of God's Word is wonderful, but this part seems to have a special place in everybody's life. I'm reading for the English Standard. It says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him, that's Jesus, is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name, in, excuse me, In the name of the only Son of God. Father, take this well-known passage today. This passage that is so familiar to us. And awaken our hearts to the newness and the trueness found therein. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. In this well-known passage of Scripture today, we discover the heights and the depths of God's love. We discover the mountain peaks. We discover everything that God wants us to know about His love 
for you and me. May I just pause here a second to tell you something? Are you listening? Are you looking? God loves you. I've heard my son stand and preach and say, I don't believe that you really realize how much God loves you because if you did, you'd quit running from Him. You see, God loves you with a love that we cannot understand. John 3.16 is the gospel in a nutshell. In the King James Version of the Bible, there are 25 words there. The first 12 tells us what we must do. The last 12 tells us what God will do. And that 13th word is the Son. And Jesus brings it all together. I want to just kind of dissect these three verses this morning to help us see it in a new way when we respect of God's love. So I begin by just telling you that verse 16 tells us about God's overt love. God's blatant love. God's incredible love. John 3.16. Now then, so there is no confusion. I've thought about this. I want us to quote loud. I don't want you to whisper like you normally sing. I want us to quote loud John 3.16 from the King James Version of the Bible because that's where we learned it from. Are y'all ready? Okay. Is everybody awake? Nudge your spouse. I want to hear it. Say it with me. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, here's what I want to say to you. As well as you know that, how long has it been since you quoted that? You see, we forget. We forget. And yet, in this verse, in this verse, it encapsulates God's overt love. The first phrase, for God so loved, is tells us about His determined love. It is Determined for God so loved, for God loved the world so much, for God had such love for the world. Can you feel the passion of God? Jesus spoke these words and he was trying to communicate to Nicodemus how much God loved us. If you go look in the Greek language, you know what you discover? You discover that that so loved, that has force to it. It has passion to it. It has drive to it to tell us just how much God loves us. And you know why it's so determined? It's because God's love reaches everyone. God is liberal with His love. The Bible is liberal with passages that tell us about God's love. I'm reminded of Romans 5, 5. But God's love is, oh, King James, I think, says, shed abroad. God's love is poured out. God's love is running over into our hearts. I don't want to simplify God's love, but you know when I read that verse, I think I've told you this, you know what that, when it says it's shed abroad, when it says it's poured out, when it's overflowing, it reminds me of that picture of tea on Sunday. You, you tumped that picture of tea over and you got that white tablecloth, because women always have to have a white tablecloth on Sunday. It's not a Sunday dinner if there's not a white tablecloth. And you spill that tea on it. You know what? That tea goes where it wants to. You cannot ever stop that tea. You can't ever get all that tea back. And really, you can clean the table off, you can fold it up, and there'll still be tea on the table because you can't clean it up. That's the love of God for you. It's determined 
He is determined to reach us. He's determined to tell us, God so loved the world. It's determined. But it's also demonstrated. For God so loved the world, it's determined that He gave His only Son. It's demonstrated to us. How does God demonstrate it? He gave Jesus, and through Jesus, He forgives our sins. He doesn't give up on us. Now, is that an encouragement to anybody in this room? God doesn't give up on you. If there's ever been a person God should have given up on, it wasn't my daughter, it was me. I've given God more opportunity to throw me under the bus, Adam, and forget about me than anybody in this room. And yet His his love, it's demonstrated. I mentioned Romans 5. You You can stay in Romans 5 because in Romans 5 it says God's love is shed abroad. And then down a little further it goes, and God demonstrated His love for us. And that while we were sinners, not when we got our lives right, there are probably people in this room who decided, well, when I get my life good enough, I'm going to receive Jesus and come to Christ. Let me tell you something. You will never be good enough. That's not how Jesus wants you. He wants you to come just as you are. Because when you were a sinner, Christ died for you. Not when you made yourself good enough, because you can't. I can't. God's love is demonstrated through Jesus' death on the cross. Hmm. God doesn't give up. He won't give up. He doesn't give up. His love keeps on reaching. We'll hear a little of that tonight. His love keeps on longing. By the way, His love is not just demonstrated on the cross, although this verse tells us that He gave His Son. God's love for you is demonstrated every day. If you have a friend, that's God's love. If you have a friend, that's God's love to you. Because land's sakes, left to our own self, we will alienate everybody from us. Because we're selfish, we're self-centered. And we just want it our way. Well, if you've got a family, that's God's gift to you. If you draw your breath, that's God's gift to you. That's His love demonstrated for you. And boy, just when you think, just when you think you're at your end, there's, there He is again, blessing you again. Problem is today we have so many blessings that we forget to thank God for His blessing, for His love. God's love is determined for God to love the world. That's His overt love. God's love is demonstrated that He gave His only begotten Son. But listen, God has a purpose of His love. It's a directed love. Both directed at us and a direction for us. I love that last part. It says that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. Boy, when you read when you read that, you realize that God's love is very overt, it's very explicit, it's very blatant, and it's very plain in the way it directs God, it directs us to Him and directs us from Him to eternity. Now, are you listening? God's love's directed. It direct it's directed to you to draw you to Him, so that one day you will not 
live in eternal punishment, but you will have everlasting life. Well, Brother Jerry, if God loves me, I'll have a Cadillac. No. Nope. Cadillacs are not what they're made up to be. It's, I think it's Lexus today or it's Mercedes or something. But listen, let me just shock some of you. God doesn't give a plug nickel about your health, about your wealth, about your comfort, about you being pampered. That doesn't even raise the needle on God's radar. You know what God wants? That you could have eternal life. He wants you to be reconciled to Him. He wants you to have a relationship with Him. That's why it says, He who believes in Him will not perish. He sent His Son so that when you believe in Him, not that you'll get great health, or as people will tell you on television, a lot of money. He wants you to have eternal life. He wants you to have the best because God is looking through the big picture. We forget about the big picture. I love these teenagers up here, and I don't want to thin them out, and I don't want them to be mad at me, but I'm just going to tell you, these guys may be the exceptions. I've discovered something about teenagers, and I'm going to compare teenagers and parents. So, guys, y'all can choke me and strangle me and other things later. This is is not you, because I'm about to say some things pretty directly, Then you don't try to put the shoe on because it'll hurt. But if it does, wear it. Generally, teenagers don't see the big picture. Generally, teenagers see what's right in front of them, and they want it right now. <clears throat> they, want, they want their favorite phone or other device. They want their car. They want it now. They want their friends and sometimes their boyfriends and their girls. They want it and they want it now. They want their clothes. They want it now. In the larger picture of teenagers, here's one of the things that's happening today. Teenagers don't see the long-term consequences of ill-fated behavior, of bad decisions. I read a report two or three years ago. Did you realize this? That the average age... At that time, in that report, the average age of first sexual contact today, at that time, was 11. 11. Now, hear me. This is one of those beautiful experiences of life. We call it sex. We call it making love. It goes by a lot of other names. This is one of the most beautiful experiences of life that God designed for one man and one woman forever. When you give yourself to that person, you leave a part of yourself with that person. That's what the Bible says. And you can never get that part back. In fact, years ago, I think when Jason was here, you may have been there, and I I spoke to our teenagers about sexual, um, biblical sexuality. I took a sticky note. And I stuck it on my head, and I said, you see a sticky note? The first time you stick it there, it sticks fine. You stick it a second time, it'll stick okay. A third time, okay. Fourth time. But about the fifth time, there's not anything left, and it won't stay. Because there's nothing left to give. I want you to think about that. In this wonderful experience, 
most of our children, most of our teenagers, by the time they get up to get married, they've got so little left to give. They don't understand that the partying, the drinking, the drugs, and the sexual promiscuity, they don't understand how it affects them when they get 40. Parents, on the other hand, now not all parents are perfect. I just want to say this. Not all parents are perfect. Generally, parents see the bigger picture. And you know, teenagers, I'm just going to tell you this. You know what parents really want if they're worth their salt? You know what parents really want? They want to keep you from stepping in the potholes they stepped in. They want to keep you from falling in the same trap that they fell in. Or either that they saw somebody feel it. Because the parent has this thing. They want to get you to adulthood as, a, as an adult with a life to live. Are y'all listening? Can you make that parallel? That's God's overt love for us. That's God's overt love for you. You and I see time. He sees eternity. His goal is for you and me to be reconciled to Him. God loved the world so much that He gave His only Son that you could find, have your favorite car, your favorite boyfriend, or, or find happiness. No, God's not worried about your happiness. He's worried about your holiness. And He sent Jesus in His overt love to draw you to Himself. God's overt love. That's verse 16. Then you get to verse 17. And we see God's overcoming love. Have you ever asked yourself, have you ever sat down when you're reading your Bible, because I know you read your Bible every day, have you ever sat down and asked yourself, why in the world, when Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life, why in the world did Jesus have to go on and muddy the water and say, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Have you ever thought about why Jesus had to say that? I'm going to just suggest two quick things to you. First of all, it's because Jesus knew the history of mankind. Are you all with me? Are you asleep yet? Jesus knew the history of the mankind. Track it back all the way to the Garden of Eden. You know what you discover? We are a rebellious bunch. Generally, the history of mankind walks like this. God says, don't do it, and we do it. God says, do it, and we don't do it. It's that simple. Because we think we know more than God. Well, that's good, but God loves us, so God won't do anything. Oh, really? It wasn't until Genesis 6 that God got fed up, and it says he, he was grieved that he even made man. He sent the flood to send... To, render the earth void of everything except seven people. Sodom and Gomorrah, God got tired of, America better listen to this, God got tired of there being no righteous people in that city. And he sent fire and brimstone, and archaeologists hadn't even found that city yet. Last week, we spoke in, I think it was the evening service, about Numbers 21. God went in His love. He, he retrieved the children of Israel from Egypt. He got them released. Man, they should have been high-fiving each other, trying to high-five God and saying, man, this is great. 
What they do? They got out in the wilderness. They began to complain against God. So what did God do? Condemnation came. And he sent the poisonous snakes. And you go, yeah, but Brother Jerry, God's love. He put that snake up there, and they were healed. Well, you were right. Well, listen, people died from those snake bites. And when the snake went up on the pole, nobody who died was revived because of the consequences of sin. God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. This has to do with our history, but it also has to do, let me just step on this a little bit. It also has to do with our heart. Our heart. Oh, Brother Jerry, that's okay. I got a good heart. Is that so? Oh, you don't have to talk about them. They got a good heart. Is that so? Who told you that? Do you know what the Bible says? Above all things, the heart is deceptive. The heart is deceitful. The heart will deceive you. Our our heart has the capacity. Now, are you listening? You don't like this about the heart, but listen. Our heart has the capacity to pull us into sin. John Piper writes this. He says, The very sin that makes it so hard to believe that we can be loved by God is the precondition for experiencing how stunning God's love really is. The sin of that first couple in the garden is the sin of mankind and is the sin of you and me. It is the sin that condemns us from the presence of God to eternal punishment. It is that condemning sin. And had Jesus not come, we would have no hope. And yet God in his love, he sent Jesus. I just want to say this. God didn't search all through heaven and find one willing. God turned to his right hand. He said, hey, boy, it's you. You are plan A. You need to go. And Jesus came. And he didn't come to condemn. He came to convict and convert. God's overcoming love. Jesus died to overcome sin. That brings us to verse number 18. And in there we see God's obstinate love. (laughs) Obstinate. Now, obstinate is not a word we use a lot. And obstinate means uh, to us, most of the time, bad stuff. Do you know any obstinate people? Are you an obstinate people? Obstinate people's life song, Teddy is I shall not be moved. In fact, don't confuse me with the facts, because I got my mind made up. We know about that. You can't confuse God, and he does have his mind made up. He loves us. This is a very appropriate word for God's love, because God's love never falters and never fails. In fact, Paul asked this question. What shall separate us from the love of God? And then he gives a laundry list. Child distress, persecution, peril, nakedness. Nakedness? Famine? 
sword? And Paul's conclusion is, no, none of those things are going to separate us from the love of God. But conversely, in all those things, we're made more than conquerors through him who loves us. You know what that tells us? Whoever you are this morning, whatever you've done, wherever you've been, whatever sin you've committed, God has an obstinate love for you. Now, the day will come. If you don't respond to him, that some ungodly things are going to happen to you, but he's going to love you and call you to the end. As we look at verse 18, I want you to see this, what he tells us in verse 18. He says, whoever believes in him is not condemned. God's ultimate, God's obstinate love confirms your destination. I want you to hear this. God's obstinate love confirms your destination. Whoever believes in Jesus, if you believe in Jesus, when you believe in Jesus, you are not condemned. What a promise. In his life, Jesus tells us that we have two options. Now, are you listening? You have only two places. One day, everybody's going to die. Did you know that? And if you really caught a vision of how frail your body is, you'd be concerned about your next breath. Because, you see, God just wired it into us that we don't have to think about breathing. Jesus said there are only two places beyond the grave. And those two places beyond the grave are decided on on this side of the grave. You can either go the broad way or you can go the narrow way. You can go the easy way or the hard way. You can take death or you can take life. There is no other option. One leads you to punishment. One leads you to paradise. One leads you to hell. And one leads you to heaven. And it says right here, whoever believes in him is not condemned. For you see, condemnation lasts for eternity. You see, God loves you that much. God loves you that much. God loves you that much. He gives you a home, a hope, and a future when you come to Him. Brother Jerry, that's great. Can you just stop right there? No, I can't. Because the Scripture goes on. Not only does it confirm your destination, but it cautions you about condemnation. He cautions you about condemnation. Look in the middle of that verse. Whoever does not believe is condemned already. It's essential. It's you better get this in your head and heart that for someone who does not believe in Jesus, they're as good as gone. They're as good as gone. You know what that means? At the end time, there are going to be some wives who are gone. There are going to be some husbands who are gone. There are going to be some teenagers who are gone. There are going to be some preachers who are gone. There are going to be some singers who are gone. There are going to be some Sunday school teachers who are gone. There are going to be some deacons who wear that name who are gone. 
Because you see, without the Son of God taking residence in our heart and life, forgiving of our sin, and transforming us like only He can do, we have no hope of eternal life and eternal damnation waits. And God cautions us about it. If you've never invited Christ into your life, I hate to tell you, I love you. I don't want you to go there. I want you to come even today and trust Christ. But if you've never trusted Christ in your life and you close your eyes in death, condemnation awaits. But I love this part of this verse because it goes on to the end and it clarifies the way of salvation. It clarifies the way of salvation. I've already told you the way of salvation is narrow. You do not get to chart the course of salvation. You do not get to say what it takes. Well, I'm good enough. I have done enough. And I get to go to heaven. Well, it's not your heaven. It's not your salvation. It's His. David said, Restore unto me the joy of your salvation, because salvation is of the Lord, belongs to the Lord. He comes into your life. Here's what's going to happen he is going to move in your heart and move on you and you're going to realize you're a sinner. You're going to realize that this message is for you. And that you've got to do something. And you're going to do one of two things. You're going to either respond to the Spirit of God or you're going to reject the Spirit of God. You see, there is only one way. And He lets you know. He lets you know the road to heaven. He lets you know the path to eternity. He lets you know the path to eternal life. You say, Brother Jerry, I don't know about all that. You know, I kind of think you can kind of make your own way and I can get there. Well, let me, and, you know, I don't really believe this book, so, you know, how do I find my way to heaven? Well, let me just ask you a question. What kind of God would it be to have out there in front of us hell for those that miss heaven and then paradise? What kind of God would it be to have paradise, heaven, and then not tell us how to get there. Would you think that would be a loving God? Just guess. Oh, but friends, please listen. In his book that we call the Bible, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. For God loved the world so much. For God loved Eddie so much. For God loved Bill so much. For God Loved every one of you so much that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. That's His message to you. What will you do with what He has given you? Let's pray.